you got the degree in psychology mm -hmm. and I'm still trying to understand like how that connected to business development. The, uh, it ended up turning out that there um, were two major diversity consulting firms that were headquartered in Cincinnati at that time. I reached out to both of them and just saying, hey, I'm interested in this. I've got a passion for people, helping people. I'm trying to learn you know, leadership and all these sorts of things. You know, maybe training, like, is there an opportunity? And uh, ended up turning out that one of them uh, ended up becoming my first job out of college. What was it that gave you the confidence to call these people <laughs> and like say, hey, I'm interested. Like, what gave you the confidence? Um, at that point, I don't even know if I would have called it confidence. It was, it was calling more than confidence. So I know that you'll agree, enjoying myself while at work is the vibe that I'm trying to be on. So I want to invite you guys to Sidebar ATL here in Atlanta, Georgia. Sidebar, on top of the good food and live music, they have three different experiences. That means you can join me in the garden room, in the gold room if you want to try the top of the line hookah, and they also have the dungeon where I hear what happens in the dungeon stays in the dungeon. So it's the perfect mix if you're here on business or you want to blow off some steam after work, you can meet me at Sidebar ATL so that you can have a little bit of dinner and then turn up afterwards if that's your jam. So check us out, 79 Poplar Street here in downtown Atlanta, or you can call 678-800-0741. Let's get it, work and play at the same time. Right? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Work and Play Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel, and today we have a really, really great guest today. I get excited about these conversations when we get to like nerd out. Yes. And so today we're gonna get to nerd out about the transition from corporate to entrepreneurship and all of the steps in between. Because entrepreneurship is not even an end goal, it's just a destination. Mm -hmm. Right? So without further ado, we will get into it. How do you introduce yourself to people? The uh, Right now I say I'm Nasir Bayan. I'm a corporate mental wellness expert and I help companies uh, create a culture of mental wellness. I love it already. How yeah. did you get into that though? I spent 20 years in corporate America, both inside corporate America as an employee and a leader, and then outside of corporate America as a consultant. And 20 years in corporate America, um, even when people say the word corporate, a lot of times people, when you say that word, people hear pressure, they hear stress, they hear overwhelm. Mm -hmm. So to, just to say, I was in corporate for 20 years, people were like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, in addition to having, you know, having that experience and knowing the pressures and the stressors of you know, being in corporate, uh, whether you're an individual contributor, as a leader, I had that experience. Uh, and I'm also a licensed mental health professional, a licensed psychotherapist. And uh, I know the impact that stress has on the body and how we think and how we feel and relationships and all that type of stuff. So uh, I essentially merged those two together and said, hey, how do I marry what I know works in terms of counseling and therapy mm -hmm. and kind of use that and take that back into corporate to actually help you know, people and companies do better. Yes, because you know the life, you already know what it's like to like live in their shoes, deal with the mental stress. Mm -hmm. And as a professional, that's where you are now, but what was your role while you were in corporate? The, so I was uh, in healthcare primarily uh, doing business development. So, you know, business development is a mix of sales, customer service, community relations, uh, financials. There's a lot of pieces that go into BD or business development. So uh, when I left, I was a regional director of business development uh, mm. for a Fortune 500 healthcare organization. I would say that's kind of like the soft side of business, right? Like it wasn't super technical. It's, it takes a lot of natural ability, but then it also, you have to hone some of those skills, like people build, people, um, 
people skills, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So like for you, when did you decide to go into business? And I don't know if like in college, if there's even a degree. So let's take it back. Okay. What did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> like when you were in high school, let's go there. Cause that's probably where we start to decide what our major is going to be. Uh-huh. The, uh, in high school, actually, I thought I was going to do graphic design. Really? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. My, uh, my initial thought was, um, you know, as a kid, uh, I liked art and, you know, had some, you know, kind of creative streaks. So I thought, well, maybe graphic design, that's something that I do. And uh, I realized I was in, like, my senior year of high school, and I was in AP art, you know, advanced placement art, which mm -hmm. is basically all of the, you know, artsy, creative kids in, in school doing you know doing art but just you know doing more projects within the term or semester you would think that i would have really liked it i didn't because each week you had to come up with an idea execute on it be finished by friday and i realized that having to kind of like churn to the the fun out of it yeah, so i said on i said graphic design that's not where i want to go in terms of like a career mm -hmm. uh, so i ended up switching to psychology and then that's what started to lead me in a, a different direction to a more holistic path mm -hmm. it's interesting that you learn graphic design in that way because when you think of graphic designers and creatives you're like oh you get to like just be creative all day but because of the way you learn in this structured environment uh -huh. it turns you off yes and it's crazy. the other crazy thing is you decided to take a career in the most structured environment <laughs> you could have ever done. Uh -huh, so, like, uh -huh. let's make that connection. So you were in graphic design in college mm -hmm. or in high school. Yeah, the, in high school, thought that was what I was going to major in in college. Yeah. And then, like, the first, you know, semester, I changed it to psychology. You changed it to psychology. Yeah. That's interesting. I wanted to be psychology uh, psychology major when I was in high school. Uh, first semester of school mm -hmm. and um you know a lot of black parents are like how are you gonna make money doing that yes <laughs> so when were you were you supported in that decision yes yeah but yeah my, my family the, there wasn't any like significant pushback so i'm really? i'm definitely like grateful for that it wasn't until i think the end of undergrad you know the um for me i did the five-year plan i didn't do the four-year plan so it was in that in that fifth year <laughs> that internally not even from like external pressures or family like i just started thinking how do i monetize this turn this into a career that i love and it's also lucrative got you are you still trying to get a leg up on your entrepreneurial career now i told you about the morning meetup the community that was created for the betterment of entrepreneurship and we are cooking up some really cool things now here's the thing if you join today you can actually get in for 60 percent of the original price so if you join today all you have to do is download the app and i provided the link below so that you can join us we have community we have a book club and it's the largest group that meets every single day monday through friday at 8 a.m to literally get ahead start on entrepreneurship so if you're still trying to grow you don't know what your business is going to be but you know you want to be an entrepreneur this is the community for you so check out the morning meetup click the link below download the app and join us today now up until that point you just had been enjoying the classes what part of the psychology education took to did you take to most it was um i love people mm. i absolutely love people warts and all, the good, the bad, and just getting a deeper understanding of um, why we are the way that we are in the, you know, in the good and the bad. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, so that piece, as well as, um, you know, I started basically like facilitating like on-campus programs and that sort of stuff. And like, I realized I just enjoyed that people interaction uh, piece of it. So I said, okay, there's something here and I need to, to kind of keep following, you know, following that uh, instinct. I'm with you, right? 
but there's so much more to psychology than people realize. Mm -hmm. Like I only took one psychology class. I think like as a business major, you're required to take one. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Sigmund Freud. I'm I hopefully I'm not putting myself out of the mental health community because I think it was Sigmund Freud who um no, it was Pavlov uh -huh. because we learned about the the conditioning. Yes, conditioning, right? Yes. And that that's probably what got me interested in the degree, right? But yeah. there's so much more behind the wall. So as a mental health professional, what are some of the things that just differentiate you as a educated psychologist versus the stuff that people think is so um, um, second nature? Because that's education. Like you, you have, like, which class was your favorite? Ooh, which class was my favorite? Yeah. You forced me to go back. I'm trying like, to get in there. You see, huh. I'm, I'm like, hold on, let me. Which class was my favorite? Yeah. There isn't one that there isn't one that just there isn't one that sticks out wow. yet. I'm gonna have to sit on that because I haven't literally until this moment even thought about, thought about that question. Yes. So. Okay. So and I, and I would love to explore it because um, when it's when you say I love people, mm -hmm. you know, I think that what I'm learning in the helping profession, there are different types of ways to help people, like. Mm -hmm. There are different ways to help mental Ill mental illnesses. There's mm -hmm. medication. There's uh, physical, like you know, um, I can't even think of the terminology, but RTMS, right, where you put the electrodes on your brain. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. talk therapy. There, mm -hmm. but, but then that all stems from a different class, gotcha. so to speak, right? So we'll get into it a little bit more. I'm, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'm it's gonna come up. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm tracking. Yeah. <laughs> so you got the degree in psychology mm -hmm. and I'm still trying to understand like how that connected to business development. So what was your experience like when you're facing graduation mm -hmm. with or without a job? The without a job, I'm trying to go back and remember the, yeah, I don't think without one when I act like when I actually graduated, yeah. the, uh, I went to undergrad at university of Cincinnati, you see, so this is Cincinnati, Ohio. And again, having done, you know, facilitating lead uh, and lay it groups on campus, like, you know, uh, with other students, I realized I really enjoyed that. So I thought, well, is there a way to marry that into like a, a career? So I started thinking, well, consulting or training or, you know, any of the stuff around what they call DEI now, you know, mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion, like, how can I make that work? The uh, It ended up turning out that there um, were two major diversity consulting firms that were headquartered in Cincinnati at that time. I reached out to both of them. I'm a, you know, how, how old you are, you know, when you graduate, 21, yeah, yeah. and just saying, hey, I'm interested in this. I've got a passion for people, helping people. I'm trying to learn, you know, leadership and all these sorts of things, you know, maybe training, like, is there an opportunity? And uh, ended up turning out that one of them uh, ended up becoming my first job out of college, one of the uh, pioneering diversity consulting firms. And the other one, later on in my career, I ended up uh, doing some contracting work with them for several years. So That's that amazing. was how that connect happened. Yeah. Did you, up until this point, had you had any like uh, career um, development, any type of coaching? Did you go to the guidance counselor? What was it that gave you the confidence to call these people <laughs> and like say, hey, I'm interested? Like, what gave you the confidence? Um, at that point, I don't even know if I would have called it confidence. It was it was calling more than confidence. Hmm. It was just I feel like this is where I'm supposed to go. It makes logical sense. Um, it doesn't hurt. You know, the the worst that can be said is no. And just, you know, you don't have a job manager graduate like you, you need to do it. So um, that was that that was it. At that point, I don't even know if I would have called it confidence. It was just this is the next logical step. And you also said calling. 
so as I'm listening to you making these these, these decisions, we haven't necessarily tapped into your foundation at much, right? Like up until this point we know you were interested in graphic design mm -hmm. we know you decided not to do that we mm -hmm. know you also decided to go into psychology and you took it upon yourself to like to handle your own career so to speak because some people would have graduated just kind of floundered which some people do mm -hmm. because That's they don't have that wherewithal so growing up who was it you said you were supported when you decided to become a psychologist so when you were growing up what was the idea of like career success or the careers that were available to you like the like the answer to me again like what what careers did i think about growing yeah, up yeah or? Or, or yes and were your parents involved in showing you what careers were available was it school that was like these are the jobs did you even not consciously like it wasn't a um yeah it wasn't a lot of conscious i think uh exposure I me mean, we absorb stuff or i absorb stuff but it wasn't it wasn't, I, I don't think, that much of an intentional thing. That being said, like I'm literally going back in the, yeah. in the time machine as you're asking the question. The, um, my mom at certain times would, you know, would talk about you know, owning your own business or that, it, that is a possibility. Mm. So I think that, I don't know if it planted a seed or kind of opened up the possibility of like, oh, that, you know, that's something that years, you know, didn't manifest until years later, but. Um, that's how that comes to me immediately. The she does did some entrepreneurial stuff, some network marketing, and ah, yeah, yeah. Now network marketing opens the door for a lot Come of people into entrepreneurship. <laughs> so, and even though you didn't do it, the power of learning a lesson through someone else's life is yes. invaluable. Okay, yes. so mom was into network marketing. Yes. Did she have a nine to five as well? She did have a nine to five. Okay, and what about that? The nine to five the, um, had been in corporate before. Okay. And uh, his nine to five at that point wasn't in corporate, but had been in corporate before. So I got some, you know, some a lot of nine to five exposure mm -hmm. and then some non-traditional exposure. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Non-traditional. Yeah. I'm learning along the way. It's like you are developing through osmosis. Yes. Because it's not a lot of like you should do this. You do. You need to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so, something inside of you is like, well, I need to get a job. Like nobody's sitting here like, um. What are you going to do to make money? Like, how are you going to graduate? Nobody's pressuring you in this moment. Mm -hmm. Correct. That's dope. Okay. Yeah. So we're really following our own path at this point. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Okay. So you were um, a consultant. You were an uh, employee at the first company. You mm -hmm. did contract work for the second company. What types of projects did you do? Because you're only like 22, 3, 4 at this time. Mm -hmm. What type of projects did you work on at these companies? So when I first started out, the, uh, I was a client relationship manager. So you're in the, the sales side of a consulting firm. Mm -hmm. So I'm there again, 21, 22 years old, and I'm essentially calling HR directors or HR managers and saying, hey, we've got these consulting services or these training services um, that your, you know, your company may need or your employees may need. You know, can, can we talk? So I'm essentially selling our services mm -hmm. all the while while that's happening. And I'm on the phone trying to, you know, trying to do that. I'm seeing the seasoned trainers, you know, facilitators and trainers um, do their thing. You know, I get a chance to be a part of certain trainings, to sit in on some of them. And eventually I'm like, I really like this training, you know, arena because I could see magic learning growth happening. Uh, I could see people being challenged. Yeah. Um, and it was exciting. I mean, it was very exciting. So eventually I ended up kind of, you know, saying to that you're asking the leaders, is it possible to transition from customer 
uh, relationship manager and that kind of sales side mm -hmm. of the consulting firm mm -hmm. to training. Yeah. You know, can I co-facilitate, you know, or do some junior apprenticing, like learn what these seasoned trainers know. And essentially they were like, yes, we can definitely do that. Like there's, you know, and we love to have folks that are interested in training and delivery. So that was how I ended up, uh, I guess, formally moving into, you know, corporate training or yeah. workshop delivery. Again, you took it upon yourself to ask for an apprenticeship, which are, is one of the boss moves that I talk about. Like on my okay. social media, I would literally say, if you want to do something, a boss move is essentially asking to do something for free and getting like getting paid the knowledge and experience of the people who are who have done it for 20 years. Invaluable. Man. Invaluable. And you took it upon your, yourself to do it. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> it's, it sounds really great when you said I'm like, Oh, I guess I did, but I'm like, you're just, you know, when you're, um, I think at any, uh, especially early, let me say, especially earlier in, in one's career, mm -hmm. you're figuring it out. We're figuring out, we're doing, we're making the next best step based off of what we know. Yeah. Um, so not that we don't know what we don't know, but we're just making the next best step. So mm -hmm. I appreciate the positive, you know, framing, but I'm like, you know, just moving forward. That's amazing. Well, you know what? Thank you're welcome because <laughs> I am listening to your story and I'm like, you are making moves that a lot of people um, our age and younger and currently don't have the confidence to do. Because mm. here's the thing, I I was grow I grew up with um, career readiness yeah. training, right? So there are things that I knew to do. So you just have to have the confidence to do what you're being told to do. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you're taking steps that. People like you didn't even know was somewhere in in a silo to do, but you're you're just kind of innately doing it for yourself. Yeah. So that's why I see it that way, you know. And I, honestly, I think that might be the difference. That's like one of the bigger differences between corporate uh -huh. and entrepreneurs. We have this structure, this this entail, yes. right, as corporate employees. But then the entrepreneurs, they just do, mm -hmm. and they Execute. learn through do it through executing. Yeah. So here you are at this point in your career. Was entrepreneurship at any point in your mind, or were you still just like in the beginning of like, I just want to learn how to be corporate? It was seventy uh, percent. I want to learn corporate. Like mm -hmm. I want to know this place and what the rules are, written and unwritten. Mm -hmm. I want to add value. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to get better. So it was seventy percent that, and then thirty percent maybe thinking about entrepreneurship, or maybe even eighty twenty. Like most of it was, I want to you know show up and, and add value, and then maybe maybe twenty percent entrepreneurship. Okay, yeah. got you. So how long were you in the in this role? Like. Well, how long did it take you to get from like, I want to, hey, I'm interested in learning about training to like becoming a trainer. And then how long were you in that environment? The I mean, it was pretty much immediate. Like when I said, hey, I would like to be able to you know, move into the training side of the business. Um, you know, the yes was pretty immediate. And then to start actually co-facilitating trainings was immediate. Um, so that happened pretty quickly. I was only at that um, that firm for just about a year mm. The before moving, leaving Cincinnati and then moving down to Atlanta. So we're talking about 02, maybe going into, into 03. Okay, yeah. 02, 03. Now what sparked your decision to move from Cincinnati to Atlanta? The, I looked around and I said, the, you know, I was looking for me in the future, mm. essentially. And the, uh, I remember talking to one of the VPs of the company, uh, older, very accomplished black man, vice president of consulting at that point. Long career in education, great career in corporate. 
And I said, you know, I'm kind of thinking about moving to Atlanta. I've got some family down there. One of my sisters, you know, was down here. I said, I've got some family down there. The, you know, I'm just thinking about it. He was like, kind of, you know, long story short, he said, if I was you, like, I wouldn't even think about it. Like, go. Because there was a lot of opportunity. Um, You know, a lot of young professionals, a lot of young black, you know, black and brown professionals. So, um, opportunity. Yeah. I came down here a couple of times to visit. And I remember driving back to Cincinnati and thinking, why am I still living in Cincinnati? Like I need to be, um, in the A. So that was what, you know, got me from Cincinnati, Ohio down here to, uh, to Atlanta. Mm, can we talk about that a little bit? Cause that feeling, you know, for a lot of people, that feeling of why am I, you start to question it. Like, is this life, you know, am I supposed to be here? Mm-hmm. It started the first time it sounds like was while you were in Cincinnati. Uh-huh. So like what sparked or triggered that idea of like, is is this is all is this like what it's gonna be like or I want more for myself like what was life like in Cincinnati I've never been the um at that point the I mean we're talking 20 years ago so uh I think it has definitely changed since but uh conservative you know relatively conservative I could I I couldn't look and see um many examples it's not that they weren't there but many examples of young black professionals, let alone, you know, mid to later career black professionals, where I could look and say, like, I want to be, you know, I want to be him. I want to have that achievement. That wasn't as prevalent. So that, I think, dissatisfaction made Mm. me think, like, where are, um, where are the other me, so to speak? Like, where are other young black professionals at? um, And I want to be there. And it ended up, you know, being Atlanta. So Mm. that was, uh, I think, what kind of spawned it. I'm glad I asked. So you went, you took it upon yourself to ask, hey, let me get training. And I'm assuming you enjoyed the work. Mm -hmm. But as you're explaining it, you just didn't see enough representation. So while you wanted to add value to the corporate space and like learn the rules in Excel, it sounds like there looked like there might have been a a ceiling for you at some point. The not necessarily within the company, but in the the city at large. So the um, the. It wasn't so much the again the the, the consulting firm, but the city, mm-hmm. like just Cincinnati in general. Gosh, the, like I need to break out of this yeah, city. Yeah, it was it was it was the vibe. It was like I'm not seeing enough of myself reflected for me to for me to internally say this is where I need to be. This is where I need to stay. Gosh. And it's, of course, when you're young, like you mean you just graduated, there's boundless energy, there's limitless opportunity. It's like let's get it. So yeah, that was what. On that. Yeah, yeah. That's dope. Okay, got you. Bring you to Atlanta, mm-hmm. the, the mecca of America. <laughs> we are happy to have you, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> You're here, right? And so you, you, the land of opportunities. What's one of the like? How did you get your footing when you moved to a completely different city? And was it just you by yourself, or? No, the uh, so one of my sisters lived down here and still lives down here. Okay. The, um, and she said like, "Hey, I'm down here. Like, you know, you got a place to stay. If you're considering a move, like." you can make the move like we can facilitate making it happen and i'm yeah. um like definitely great, grateful for it because that you know, made it easier to make that move um but i had to find my way like i did i didn't come down here like oh i've got a job or a gig lined up it was just i know that i need to move mm-hmm. um so uh so so to answer your question it wasn't just me the uh you know i had my sister i had other extended family that was here okay uh which is very helpful and then consequently within Wow, two, maybe three years of me moving down here, uh, several, like two or three of my close buddies, like my close friends from undergrad, unplanned, ended up moving down here. So it was like undergrad part two. Oh, man. <laughs> and 
kind of, this is, I don't want to date you, but uh-huh. this is still around the time when Freak Week was still uh, happening. I think this was post, I mean, this post is 03, 04. Yeah, this is okay. post. Okay, yeah, too, because 2009. This is, there was, <laughs> it was an enjoyable time, but this is post, it was post Freak Week. Yeah. Okay, so you're a young man in Atlanta. You're not only just a professional, because we've, we've talked a lot about your career, uh-huh. but you're also like a young man in Atlanta. You're, you're, um, you're, um, I want to say colleagues, but what do you call it? Your peers from college came to you know Atlanta with you, so it's like home away from home, so to speak. Yes, yeah. So what is it like for you to get your first job here? Like, what company did you decide to work for? The uh, so my first job here was as an external consultant. The okay. so when I say you know I spent twenty years in corporate, that was one foot in the W two world as an employee. That was another foot in the ten ninety nine world as an external consultant. So when I moved down here, oh three. Uh, I think by 04, um, I, again, through grace, as well as some networks uh, with family, uh, ended up coming on as an external consultant to Cox Enterprises, you know, the, the multimedia yeah. company. Mm-hmm. They had a leadership training that they were doing. They wanted to bring in some external like consultants to come in and, you know, train their, their managers and, um, you know, came in and got, you know, um, got that opportunity. So that was me, you know, stepping into the world of I'm a you know, semi-entrepreneur. Like now I've got my LLC and mm-hmm. I'm now, you know, saying, well, I can take on corporate clients and do some training and facilitation work mm-hmm. and still figuring it, you know, figuring it out. The, yeah. I mean, I'm a few years in at that point. So yeah. struggling with um, sometimes imposter syndrome, the I'm the young, you know, youngest at that point, youngest person in the, you know, some of the rooms and yes. I'm training people that might be 10 or sometimes 20 years my senior. Uh, and just figuring out, but still, want, like, there was enough, there was a positive that I enjoyed that kept me kind of moving forward. That's amazing. You know, yeah. you can talk about that experience all day because um, the word consultant can be intimidating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned it, you kind of scraped, touched on it just a little bit of like how you're young in your career, you're training these executives who are 16 or plus years older than you. Mm-hmm. What is your framework at the time? Like, when did you start to niche into like, okay, I'm an external consultant. This is what I offer. Mm, the... It really came from where I felt like I was most, uh, had the most competency. Mm-hmm. So if a person said, well, what do you do consulting on? If I say, I do training, like I'm a corporate trainer. And people say, well, what do you do training on? I mm-hmm. would generally say it's leadership and diversity, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, diversity and inclusion, because mm-hmm. those are the two areas where I felt like there was the most maybe skill and passion uh, to move into versus, you know, something else. Gotcha. So I felt like it was honest, it was integrity, and I, I enjoyed it. So. That was the, uh, I guess you say, you know, niche, niche down within mm-hmm. the, the world of consulting. Got you. Yeah. And how did that differentiate you from the other types of consultants who didn't focus on leadership and diversity? Um, clients, I mean, the, the, there's kind of name recognition. Like if they know that that's what you do, then maybe you're more likely to, you know, get a get an engagement. Um, I don't know. Other than other than 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 that, the I just know that I've felt like that's where I needed to go. Leadership. Well, the reason I ask is because um, a lot of people have a fascination with like the HR side of things, how to get in, how to become a a trainer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, HRs and company, HR departments and companies, they hire people to do all types of training. Mm -hmm. So while you decided to go the leadership route, the other routes, like what are some of the other things that people get hired for? that you decided, nah, that's not my cup of tea? As consultants? Mm-hmm. 
everything. I mean, there's, there's, you could put the, the, the word consultant is so broad that it's almost like it can mean almost anything. Mm -hmm. The, I'm a business consultant. I'm a lifestyle consultant. I'm a, you know, um, but within corporate, you, I mean, you could consult on anything you could do executive consulting, you could do team building, you could do strategic planning, you could do project management. There's, Got it. You could be the external expert on almost anything mm -hmm. and say, you know, I'm put, I put my shingle out and I think I have something that can add value to a company. So it could be almost anything. For me, it just ended up specifically kind of being leadership and, you know, inclusion training. That makes sense. Okay, now that I understand the cup of teas that are available, I see like strategic, you know, I see like um, if you wanted to do organizational effectiveness, you, mm -hmm. like those are the different opportunities. And you're like, no, no, no. I'm gonna focus on building these leaders into being better leaders. Yeah. Yep. Got it. Okay, okay. Yeah. So then you're an external consultant and then you decide to be in business development. How did you get your first in as a business development person? The, so I'm the, you know, that's the, you know, consultant does again, that's one foot in the 1099 world, right. but I still have one foot in the W, the W2 world. Mm -hmm. So the, I ended up, during this time that I'm doing the consulting, I ended up going back to grad school. Okay. So that's the, I guess the, the, the missing piece. I'm going back to grad school. I moved from Atlanta up to Athens, Georgia and go to UGA. Oh, nice. So uh, go, dogs. go go dogs. There you go. The, um, so I end up getting uh, my master's degree in professional counseling and human development. Okay. The when I thought about it, I said right, something inside said it's time to go back. And I essentially was teetering between human resources and organizational development, like go back and do a graduate program in that. Or you could do a graduate program in like counseling. Mm. And I knew that I enjoyed both because both of them deal with people. And I sat down and I asked myself the question, Nasir, which one would you do for free? Not because you don't want to be well compensated, but just because it, it resonates with who you are on a very deep level. And that was what tipped the scales between you know, HR and organizational development and counseling. So I said, all right, I'll go, you know, and get this graduate degree in counseling and see where it leads. I didn't know what it was going to lead to at that point, but that was what tipped the, uh, tipped the scales. Got it. And counseling yeah. one, because while your hands were going up, I thought business, I mean, I thought organizational, um, effectiveness or organizational development one, but counseling one, uh -huh. the, uh, so the, the link is, you know, once you're done with, um, once I was done with school, most people, you know, say, hey, I'm going to you know, go through the process of becoming licensed as a counselor or therapist. Mm -hmm. Like I'll go through that process mm -hmm. uh, and it's a multi-year process. The I got provisionally licensed and I moved from Athens back down to Atlanta and I was looking for jobs. I ended up um, my first job you know, post graduate school was working at a community mental health agency okay. where I was you know, doing your know, individual and some group counseling services. So like doing direct service. Mm -hmm. And that's what got me into mental health. And then after that job, um, I ended up um, realizing that that was the only thing that was that was there and ended up working for a, a hospital that was linked to a Fortune 500 healthcare company. I didn't know at that point that it was, that there was a link. I just thought, hey, I wanna serve, how can I serve more? And um, that's what that's what moved me from mental health into business development, meaning I'm working at this hospital and um, seeing patients, like doing direct, you know, direct care service. 
And at that point, the director of business development came up to me and she was like, like, you've got this, you know, master's degree and you've got the sales background. And have you ever thought about business development? I didn't think about that. I thought direct service. And I'm like, well, let's try it out. So that's what got me into BD or business development. Um, yeah, I got to take a breather. It's a lot. <laughs> I have to take a breather because like one, what I know about business development is you don't you don't one, you don't just you don't go to school for it. You don't knock on the door. You don't apply for it. That's something that you're kind of chosen for mm. because you have you have to understand the business side of it. Yes. But you also have to understand the I want to say empathetic side, the experience side of it. Mm -hmm. Like you you have to understand the product, the customer's experience from start to finish, and then you also have to understand like the business side of it. So yeah. Just taking the reason I say I had to take a breather is because you're following your intuition, so to speak, from sales to the counseling degree to like finding your job to this in this community, um, this community counseling department, like a nonprofit. Did was it? It was the first job. The community mental health job was mm -hmm. um, was a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. The job after that was a for profit hospital. Yeah, it was linked, linked to the, to the linked, exactly. linked to the Fortune five hundred, and yes. that was where the the BD you know kind of career um, spawned. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I just had to take a breather <laughs> for it because like there's enough, these are moves that people are coached on, hmm. right? And so as you're learning about mental health, one thing that I've learned is as I got into the DSM-5 and I'm learning about these things, I started learning about my own mental health. Yeah. And these transitions at every single point has its own like own challenge on our mindset. So for you, what's your gauge on mental health at this point and how did it develop over time during this span of here, then here, then here, mm. up here. What's your development like mentally? Oh, that's a oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> there are uh, there are three things uh, or, or two things. One is the um, maybe the inner journey and the outer journey. The inner journey is, and I say this in hindsight, some not all, some not all, some not all, but some people end up getting, I think, drawn to or called to helping professions or healing professions, one, because there's a passion and a heart to serve, but also because we have our own healing work to do. Yeah. In hindsight, I'm like, well, like you had your own healing work to do. So it was, you know, I'm grateful that I did a, you know, a, a graduate degree in counseling. Um, <laughs> I remember being in one of, one of our classes, you know, graduate school classes, and one of the professors saying, this is like the first semester, saying, we, you know, if you're gonna be a counselor or therapist, you probably should, you know, do counseling or therapy, like mm -hmm. get your own counseling or therapy. I remember sitting in class and thinking, like, nodding my head, think, well, that, that makes logical sense. <laughs> and then I hear it again, I'm thinking, like, well, that makes this logical sense. Like, yeah, well, of course. <laughs> and then the hundredth time, who knows, that I heard it, it was like me thinking, like, I wonder if he's talking specifically to me. And, um, you know, wow. internally making the, the decision of, one, you need to tap in, like, with a counselor, with a therapist. And at minimum, experience what it's like if you're going to be a counselor or therapist. Mm -hmm. And at maximum, like, get your own healing jump off. Like, mm -hmm. do your own work, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I'm super grateful for it. I mean, just, I'm grateful beyond words. So I say that to say, that was some of the inner journey. When you say, what's your perspective on mental health? That was some of the inner journey. The outer journey is, I, I now look at or make a distinction between mental illness 
mental health mm. and mental wellness. Oh, meaning mental illness is something that is real and it's real in its consequences. But slash and sometimes it's something that societally we want to avoid. Like, you know, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want that. Um, mental health, especially during the pandemic, is something that I think the awareness is rising about. And a lot of people are saying, hey, this is something that, you know, I'm aware of and I want to manage. I want to manage my mental health. I want to have good mental health, mm-hmm. which I think is great and, and much needed. That being said, to me, this bucket over here, mental wellness, is the recognition that it's a resource that can be tapped into and optimized both as an individual, let alone in organization. So mm-hmm. I make that distinction just in here of mental illness versus mental health versus mental wellness. So I, when I say I'm a corporate mental wellness expert, mm-hmm. it's I'm focused on here on how do we optimize your mental awareness, our mental wellness um, for amazing outcomes, amazing mm-hmm. results, more fulfilling lives, the whole nine. The whole nine. Yeah. Ooh, now we get to geek out a little bit because like when you bring this this topic, the difference between mental illness, uh-huh. mental health and mental wealth, my biggest pet peeve when it comes to the mental health space mm-hmm. is everything resorts to being on a spectrum. Mm. The DSM-5 got everybody ADHD, got everybody calling themselves, like all of these things and labeling themselves. And, di- and I honestly believe that some uh, mental health professionals take the liberties to diagnose people too soon. Mm-hmm. So like as we think, like talk about that, like do you differentiate, do you have an opinion on like how like the mental because I feel like mental illness really or the DSM-5 really belongs in the that mental illness bucket Mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily see it in these other buckets however I feel like people take ADHD and they put it across all these buckets so what's Mm -hmm. your opinion agree there's a there's I think a lot more confusion than there is clarity Mm -hmm. when some of these things around mental health um, mental health come up and sometimes a word or diagnosis kind of gets uh, adopted by, you know, the larger society, the larger culture. And people just throw it around. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've got ADHD or, you know, I'm bipolar today or the weather's bipolar or, you know, I got PTSD because it's stressful at the job or and people would just use it um, without it necessarily being linked to clinical criteria. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if there's uh, more to say other, other than. Yeah, it's um, there's more confusion than I think cl- clarity. Eventually, I think we will get there because as a society, we're still becoming more aware of what mental health, let alone mental wellness, looks like. Mm-hmm. Where it's tangible, it's like we we know what it is or what it what it isn't. But it's a learning curve. That's a, yeah, that's a learning curve for a lot of people, the mental health profession as well as just society. But um, but yeah, I think that's that's probably like as far as in depth as far as the DSM-5. And for those of you guys who don't know, it's the diagnostic manual for, um, or in version five, right? For those uh-huh. of, those of you guys who aren't mental health professionals. Um, but you mentioned like, when you started your story, you said I spent 20 years in corporate. And uh-huh. when you hear that, you hear stress, yes. you know, you hear all these different things. And you mentioned the PTSD that uh-huh. a lot of people do resonate with when they leave corporate. So if we get into that a little bit, um, one, your perspective on it. So what I've learned, and there, there are, there's literature on it, but it's not in the DSM-5. Mm-hmm. Corporate trauma or t- corporate tr- uh, tension, stress disorder. Yeah, it's yeah. not in the DSM-5. It's not uh, diagnosable, but it is a true experience. Yes. And for some people, you know, it's a 
they have to recover for 20 years after they've spent 20 years. Speak on it. So, <laughs> so like for you, you mentioned stress, you mentioned these things. What was one of those times where you, your mental health was truly challenged in the corporate space? It was probably two years before I actually ended up leaving. Mm -hmm. I was working at sometimes 70 hour weeks, 65, 70 hour weeks. And I had from the outside looking in a lot of external success but there wasn't a lot of inner success uh, or, or happiness. The, I was stressed like out of my mind. The, I couldn't enjoy like the, I, could, I wasn't enjoying life. Waking up at you know, three, four in the morning and I'm immediately thinking about, okay, what, what, what's due? What's the deliverable? What, what needs to be done so that we can, you know, uh, have the meeting or meet the deadline. And on one hand, the, you know, going through challenges helps you to see what you're made of or how you respond to different things. So from that standpoint, I'm grateful of like, hey, you had that experience and you know where your edges are. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also was um, instructive of, I think, having to learn boundaries, um, prioritizing self-care. Like, when are you giving too much versus you need to kind of give more in here. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, about two years before I left, that was probably the height of just being really stressed and again where the the inner didn't match the outer yeah again outside looking in nice job you know six-figure salary very ego you know boosting title you know I'm the such and such and such and such and people are like oh well that, well that sounds important yeah but if you ask the question like well are you happy or how's your relationships with like everyone in your life it's like well I'm working a lot yeah so um I'm grateful for it in hindsight of uh, it just helped me to get more clear on what was and is most important. So. Mm -hmm. As a mental health professional, you own, I can hear your ownership of your healing and your health journey. Mm. Um, but when it comes to like people who are not mental health professionals and they're experiencing that corporate environment, it just feels like hell. Right. Like you, you, the way, even how you talk, it's, it just sounds healthy in hindsight, but for a lot of people like that two year, that two year mark before that you left, well, it's hell for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, um, the serenity prayer comes to mind because there are things that we can control, yeah, right? And that's the stuff that you are taking ownership and I hear it, but then there are things that we cannot control. Come on. So when you get into that, that, that moment, two years before you left, mm -hmm. what were the things? Was it a boss? Was it the policies? What was causing you the most stress at the time that just was out of your control? Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. The two things that come to mind were the quantity of work. Mm -hmm. Like it was never, it felt never ending of like there's always something. There isn't a, a lot of reprieve where you can just Whew, breathe for a second and say, okay, you know, I got the weekend to recharge or I have this extended holiday to recharge or I have some just natural downtime. So the quantity of work was something that I couldn't control that, you know, seemingly felt like it kept on coming. And then the other thing was the culture. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't, I could control me, but I couldn't control culture. I couldn't control what happened um, in other parts of the organization or policies or decisions. And that was um, 
it was rough. It was it was challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two things, the culture as well as just the quantity of work, were the things where I I realized I couldn't control them, and uh, I think it ended up shifting. You know, me um, forcing me to kind of go inward and get more more clarity. Got you. Yeah. And at this point. Um how are you making the the decision to like leave? Did you have an exit strategy? Did you say, now I'm gonna get up out of here? What was your process like on that two year market? The best way to support the Work and Play podcast is by subscribing to the YouTube channel and by going to your favorite podcast player to subscribe and rate the Work and Play podcast. That's all you have to do. So if you are liking the Work and Play podcast, the content, the stories that we're sharing, and you know that this will help someone, go ahead and share the content to someone who could actually use it and help them on their journey to transition from corporate into entrepreneurship. Now let's get back into the episode. It was uh, it was a divinely facilitated exit. See what I did there? <laughs> yes, I love it. The um, my initial thought wasn't I'm going to I'm going to to leave corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been with one company for 11 years. There was a competitor that essentially courted me and said, "Hey, we'd like you to come over here and still do business development with us." So now I'm here at a new company, still doing in healthcare, doing business development, leading a team, like enjoying the the people aspect of it, but still, you know, trying to navigate corporate. And um, right around that time, COVID hit. Like literally, me making a transition from the old job to the new job, like within a week or two, is when COVID just, you know, jumped up. So I'm at the the what was my last job for a few months, and eventually, I'm speaking, uh, you know, paraphrasing, but essentially they said, you know, this six-figure salary that we're, you know, we're paying you, you know, we might want to make some some moves because we got to pull back and shut some things down and dial back. Okay. And I said, okay, like I get it. The, um, I'm grateful that my wife and I have been like pretty intentional in terms of like our money and finances and savings and you know little debt and those sorts of things. So, but it was a divinely facilitated exit from corporate. So, <laughs> do you like it? that? <laughs> so yeah, the um, that that's what um, pr- prompted the move or was the the details behind the move. Mm. I'm grateful for it, like grateful beyond beyond words, because one, it gave me like some. Sp- Space to be able to like breathe, mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. feel like what's going on in here. Let alone like do that inner, you know, just when that inner work where you just try to get clarity. Like what's what's really going on? Mm-hmm. And um, I took the time to get clear. I knew I was going to go back into doing consulting. So I said, Hey, you've been doing consulting this time, getting that one foot in the ten ninety nine world. So instead of that being part time, you ramp that back up to full time. That was. Um, uh, a ready-made decision, mm. but I didn't know what else was going to be there. So, kind of going inside, what came out was uh, I started my private practice. You know, I've been a licensed therapist for a while, but I hadn't had my own practice where I could serve, um, you know, serve clients directly, uh, as well as figuring out like how else am I called to? What other work am I called to do that's deeply purposeful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I understand. So the the divinely facilitated exit, mm-hmm. that's that's peace. A lot of people they they uh, pray for one of those, and yeah. then when they don't get it, they're like, "All right, God, let me just put my parachute on. We own it." Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And that's you know that's everybody's journey, right? So as you're moving through your journey, your you mentioned your wife, mm-hmm. and and I'm curious about like because 
having someone along the journey with you is really helpful for those who don't have a family they resort to a therapist they resort to a coach things like that but you have a wife at home mm -hmm. so i'm curious what role or what was it like having someone else on this journey because it whether it was a burden or a support or anywhere in between mm -hmm. what was it like for you making these life decisions and these life moves with a wife along your side helpful and challenging the helpful piece is the um I think the beauty of uh, of being married or any partnership is your partner can see things you don't see. Mm -hmm. So that's the the beauty of the help piece of like she's able to see things where I could you know uh, you uh, mention a situation and say am I basically like am I tripping am I seeing this right or am I you know does this does this move make sense? Mm -hmm. So that was the helpful helpful piece. The challenging piece was to go from you know, having a good job in corporate, you know, nine to five, very good money to that's gone. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the pressure, the stress, uh, internally, like I, I felt that, that if I was a single man, I don't, I don't think I would have felt it in the same way. You don't think so? Because you, did you feel responsible for her well-being? Is that why? Mm-hmm. Yep. Got you. Yeah. And, and for the, for you to say that, do you think she would say like, she expected that from you or did you just take that on as a person i know that i took it on the i don't i don't know if she would say yes i expected it or not but i took it on like the um the part inside that says i'm protector i'm provider mm -hmm. um i've got to have a vision and be and be leading forward um to lose a you know to lose a former identity you know it's challenging. So to have that identity as, you know, I work in corporate and I've got this job and this title and that sort of thing, like that was a part of my identity. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I had to go through that identity shift. So for example, the, you know, a month or two outside of, you know, a formally leaving corporate as a W-2. Mm -hmm. When people would say, oh, what do you do? The first thing that would come to my mind to say was, oh, I used to be the such and such and such and such at yes. work at such and such and such. Yes. And then eventually there was this like dissonance of like, well, that's not what you do mm -hmm. right now. So mm -hmm. it was, it prompted the question, who are you now? Not what did you used to do? Um, and that was a process. And it was, it was challenging to like figure that out and I think own the identity as an entrepreneur. Mm. Like that was a piece of like, oh, I, like I own it now. I'm like, yes, I'm an entrepreneur. But that wasn't that was initially the case. Sometimes to say it, I would notice that even if my words said it internally, something was like, huh? you haven't fully integrated that into your identity. Yeah. Um, the same thing that when I uh, started my private practice to say, oh, I'm a licensed psychotherapist in private practice. I say it now because it's here. But initially it was like, well, I, I'm, I'm opening up the it was like there was a part of me that was still trying to trying to own it own it fully and did you have your therapist at this time the i wasn't i wasn't yes and i've had the same one and i'll tap in over the last as, 20 years as needed not over the last 20 years for the last 12 12 years yeah i'm trying to i'm trying i'm trying, I'm trying to do the the math, the, do the math. yeah yeah because yeah. i'm thinking these are identity crisis um shifts um these things these are heavy mm -hmm. and if you didn't necessarily work it out with your therapist were you giving yourself exercises to like merit match the two or once you identify the problem what was the solution that you identified the 
What was the first question? The tapping in with therapists versus we're just doing self work. Doing yeah, self work. Mm -hmm. Were you were you partnering with a therapist at this time, or were you doing a lot of self work? The it was it was both. The, uh, so I did tap in with my therapist and say, hey, you know, we haven't you know met in a while. I might need to, you know, I might need to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yes, the um, so she and I did reconnect, which was, you know, which was great. And uh, doing the doing the self work, like realizing, like this is a growth edge. You have to, you have to live it now. Um, so it was it was both. Got you, got yeah. you. And what were some of the things that helped you make sense of what you were going through? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Mm. Pausing to get clear or get still. That's probably the biggest one. There's other stuff in that, but pausing enough to get still, like literally pausing and like taking a breath or yeah. two or three and mm -hmm. like just checking in saying, what's going on here? What's going on in my head, my yeah. heart, and my hands? Mm -hmm. What am I thinking? What's going on in here? And then how's that showing up in my hands, my behavior? Mm. So doing that kind of head, heart, hands check in, um, Head, heart, hands check in. I like that. Yeah. That sounds very practical. Pausing, wanting to pause uh -huh. was probably one of my biggest issues in, in corporate because I felt like I was right in front of a moving train. Uh -huh. I'm like, I just need to like get off of the train tracks and I couldn't pause because everything was moving full speed ahead. Mm -hmm. So practically, right, I would imagine that also helps with you when you're working with clients. How do you help somebody tap into that, you know, head, heart, hands? Exercise and how does it actually work? Mm. The um, as needed. The uh, you know sometimes the um, if I'm working with a client, you know we we jump on the you know we jump uh, on you know virtual. We jump on the tel teletherapy session, and I can see that you know their their nervous system's kind of activated. There's kind of maybe carrying some stress or a little bit of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll kind of prompt and say, let's just take a moment and. Give yourself permission to arrive. Hmm. Give yourself permission to arrive fully. Not only your, you know, your body, your thoughts, what's going on, and even just someone like prompting that can help. Let alone in the middle of like a session. Sometimes you know I may say, well, you know, let's let's pause, like check in and let me know what's not only what's going on from the neck up. Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking this and I'm thinking that. I'm thinking mm -hmm. this. I'm thinking that. Mm -hmm. But from the neck down, mm -hmm. like what if anything may you be feeling? You know, feelings, emotions. What if anything is going on in your body? Like sometimes we have stress or tension holding patterns of like, oh, you know, this gets tied, or I noticed that there's an ache here. And just being aware of those can be really powerful um, in terms of like just um, the body kind of doing its natural healing that it ultimately wants to do on its own. So uh, just 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 prompting it whenever it's um, whenever I kind of see that it's needed, just just in a moment. Giving them permission to to be here. Yes. Yeah. That um, it, it just makes me feel like I know exactly what you mean. Because if I'm in a, se a session with a client or with my with my coach or my therapist, and you're here, mm -hmm. but my mind is so far from having this conversation with you. That's it. So giving myself permission to just come here, have a conversation, get centered. That's it. And then pause. That's it. Simple. Dang, you're good. I can feel it. Already, already, I can feel it. It's dope. So then, like, as we're as we're thinking about like, you know, your you as a psychotherapist, right? 
what are some of the transformations that you you like to work on nowadays? Like you've you've been through your own experiences. You you resonate with that corporate stress, right? Mm. The transformations that someone is looking for, what 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 are those that they that they come to you for mostly? Mm. The most of my clients are I guess you could say the old me, mm. meaning most of my clients are um, primarily black professionals, like either working professionals uh, or some are entrepreneurs that have their own companies and want or need or use that, that therapy space to kind of tap in, whether it's on work or business stuff, relationship stuff, um, you know, healing stuff. Like I had just, just some old stuff coming up that I want to heal or work through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of say I'm, I'm now serving the, the old me, you know, corp, corporate professionals and, and entrepreneurs. Um, and then the, what was the other, the other part of the... What's the transformation look like? Feeling better, stressing less, engaging more. Like mm. doing, you know, I call it the inner work that leads to outer transformation. The inner work that leads to outer transformation. Yes. So if you, if this is your old you, do they come with like um, visibly visible, like physical changes that need to be made, or do they somehow change on the inside and then they, and then you realize, oh, you look like a different person. Mm-hmm. Normally, it's the it's the latter. Mm. The um, and it's, it is simple, but no less powerful. Sometimes, you know, all we need is someone to help hold the space for us. Mm-hmm. Like someone to just in this hour, in this moment to, you know, be there and, you know, and be present and essentially, you know, non-verbally communicate, you know, of course it's a confidential space, but you're safe. I'm here. Whatever comes up is okay. Mm-hmm. If something doesn't come up like that's okay. And, um, you know, again, y'all nerd out about this stuff. Our nervous systems always kind of communicate, so to speak, with other people. You know, it's not something we're trying to do. Our nervous systems naturally look for signs of either welcome or warning. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like this is welcoming or this is warning or friend or foe or this is like this person's a part of my tribe or this person might be a threat. Yeah. I say that to say when we're with someone that is kind of holding that space, it can help take us from here down to here, down to here, down to here. And the, um, we like that, like that, the, uh, our nervous system, you know, physiologically, our bodies need that. And uh, it can be really, really powerful, really healing, really, really therapeutic. You were mentioning like the, you know, you're scanning the room for your, the friend or foe. And I remember before we did the podcast, we were talking about like this, the fight or flight, Yeah. you know, like the reactions that we have when we're up against stress. And though fight or flight, those are primitive reactions like that. What the amygdala tells us that, hey, we have to um, we have to fight for ourselves or we have to to flight like we have to run. Mm-hmm. I my personal opinion is like we don't not even a person in the um, environment of corporate. You don't have the option of either. Mm-hmm. Like you're not fighting somebody and you're not running. Mm-hmm. So like when you're working with your clients. How do you help them navigate through that situation? First of all, do you agree or disagree or what's your opinion on, you know, that fight or flight, you know, sense coming up while you're in corporate? And then how do you help your clients work through it? Mm, the um, the I guess I'll go in reverse order. My sense is it's absolutely real. The if we if either there's you know something that's not welcoming or even threatening in the environment or that we perceive 
as threatening in the environment, then again, like you said, our amygdala, it's going to come online. Mm -hmm. It's going to say, it's going to dump cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine into the system and activate that fight or flight response. Um, so inside here, our body is going through a lot. You know, the fight response being, metaphorically speaking, mm -hmm. i put on these boxing gloves <laughs> <laughs> and we got to do something, we got to square up. Mm -hmm. Or the flight response being, lace up these track shoes, Usain Bolt, like I'm gone. Yeah. So I guess I'm saying to say, you know, neurochemically, there's a lot that's happening in here. And sometimes uh, it's not noticed in corporate environments. You know, a person can just, they might not understand that the behavior they're seeing is a person's in a fight or flight, you know, fight or flight response. Um, the, again, our nervous systems are built to do that. And the, I don't know, kind of interesting thing is most times we're going to over index what we perceive to be the, the level of threat. Mm. So if the level of threat or challenge is a level five, mm -hmm. we're more likely to think it's a level seven. Mm -hmm. And the difference between the five and the seven is extra stress that I'm carrying like in, in my body. Um, you know, it's kind of that, uh, what do you say, better to mistake a stick for a snake than a snake for a stick. Like better, better, better to think. Okay, there's mm -hmm. that stick. Let me, let me, let me run this. Let me, let me run this way. Yeah, yeah. And all that stuff's happening in here. Yeah. So to answer your question, it's absolutely real, and it doesn't only happen in individuals. It happens in organizations. Yeah. You know. Mm. So. So how do you help your clients? Like, one, recognize that, and then work through it. The uh, individually, you know, again, holding the space, being able to speak to what is real, and to let them know that they're not alone mm. or that um, what they may be experiencing is real in here. Like I'm not on the job with them, but I know that in here, fight or flight can be happening or even freeze can be happening mm. where a person kind of you know, disasso dissociates or numbs out. Yeah, That's real in here. Yeah. Um, so being able to speak to it, to speak to what they're experiencing is really helpful in terms of like individually. And um, much needed. You mentioned the the freeze, which we didn't even go too deep into that. But I remember even before we did the podcast, you were saying like freeze is the worst response out of the out of the three: fight, mm. fight, fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely the the most um, the most intense. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm if I'm um, on a scale of zero to ten, like let's say fight or flight is maybe up to level seven, but freeze is like eight, nine, and ten. It's where my body, metaphorically speaking, is saying, I can't, like, it's too overwhelming, mm -hmm. it's too much. Mm -hmm. So the best thing I can do, the smartest thing I can do, the wisest thing I can do, is just shut down. Yeah. I'm here, but I'm not here. Which is the least healthy, because when you're trying to figure out how to navigate whatever you're going through in corporate, if you freeze, it's like you can't even hear the feedback that somebody's telling you. You can't mm -hmm. even understand what you can do to change a situation. Yeah. You're like, lights are off, the eyes are on, but I'm not here. Uh -huh. yeah. And I feel like that's when self-sabotage, because like, you can hear what people are saying, obviously, but you just can't make the, the connection between what I, what can I do to make the situation better? Mm -hmm. I'm just like, you know, hyper, hyper stimulated at all times. And it really, like, I, I would say, you know, affects our decision-making skills. Cause now we don't even know, like, it's like looking at the doggone train hitting, getting mm -hmm. ready to hit you and you're just like, mm -hmm. and it hits you anyway. That's why the pip happens. 
Yes. You know, you can't get yourself off of a pip. Yes. You you end up getting fired, and then you're looking back at a situation that you you feel like you could have had some control over, but you didn't. Uh-huh. And I, I would say, from your perspective, from a mental health perspective, do you ever deal with people who end up with, like, that regret? Like, they watched the whole debacle happen. They got fired from a job, or they couldn't get off of a pip. Mm-hmm. And they, they feel like they could have done something to change that? The I've, en- I've encountered it, not necessarily with a specific client, but in general, because it's, uh, it's real. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I love the fact that you, you know, made the connection that that is a, a freeze response. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it helps to have someone come in and name what it is that's going on. To say like, hey, you're not, you know, something isn't wrong with you. Like you're having a reaction to something going on in the environment. Mm -hmm. And this is your nervous system's way of saying I'm overwhelmed. Like I'm just I'm overwhelmed right now. It doesn't mean I might not be good, you know, this evening or a week from now or next month. But just in this moment, Mm -hmm. I'm overwhelmed. And the the, the wisest thing to do might be to to shut down. Um, So it's real. It is. Absolutely it is. And and the thing is, I see it as a coach all the time. And my biggest thing is, that's why I like to have conversations with mental health professionals. Because even though I have the experience, I'm not here to go down to the depths with you mm. in that pain, in that trauma. I recognize it, especially like because I've gone through my own trauma. Mm-hmm. But what I need you to do is find a solution, tap into that thing, yeah. talk to someone, understand where it comes from. And then we can talk about solutions because until then, we can't work on decision making. We can't work on your success. We can't work on you leveling up in your career. Mm -hmm. We can't work on you even becoming an entrepreneur because the things that were faulty while you were in corporate, they're going to follow you into entrepreneurship. Facts. So I think that you helping people untangle those thoughts and and really start to talk about it. And then we like when I say we like me and my clients, we can talk about the the actual corporate experiences that you're going through so you Uh can now tie it to this is what's happening in my brain yes and i'm not gonna let it like like sabotage my success i think that's why we are like teammates right we out here like you know helping people (laughs) from both sides so you said this earlier Uh helping professionals find their way into you know their their field one of the reasons you said is because they've identified with a situation like a trauma, mm. traumatic situations. A lot of social workers um, were in defects. They were in foster care, yeah. right? And they become social workers. Now, for you, I would love for you to like help me understand like what's that personal situation for you that you that you identify with that you also see in your clients that helps you help them. Mm. Perfectionism. Like wanting to be perfect or you know, feeling the need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, taking on more than is yours to bear, mm. so to speak. Where do you think you got that from? The some of it may just be personality. The um I think I think some of it's some of it's personality. The um and the I don't know. I don't know. The perfectionism <laughs> And the previous guest helped me see that perfectionism, my perfectionism might have stemmed from like, you know, growing up with my mom and slamming dishes if, she, if like stuff was not going right. I'm just like, oh, you got to yeah. make it all right. Yeah. Did you connect your perfectionism with either a childhood event or um, high school or even young professional event? Yeah. The, um, 
the I would definitely say like ch childhood the you know growing up the there were good times there were bad times there were times where it was stable there were times where it was, it was unstable mm -hmm. and the I think I read the times that were unstable as a a commentary on me like who I was mm. so there was a part of me it's like well I'm going to be perfect to prevent things being bad or things being unstable yeah. so I think it, it it came from that or I would say I know that it, it came from that like to have things sometimes be okay but not be okay yeah. and me thinking that somehow was a reflection directly on me instead of realizing like oh well you know life is hard adults yeah. can get stressed that can show up in a lot of different ways and as a kid that has yeah. nothing to do with you but to not be able to know that or articulate it or have that light bulb going, I think turn into, well, I'll just be perfect and yeah. then things won't, you know, be as challenging or as bad. So I think that's the I think that's the root. That's hey, yeah. it sounds it sounds similar to mine. I definitely resonate. And um for you now, like everyone says a therapist needs to have a therapist, a coach needs to have a coach. What would you say is like the biggest challenge that you are now facing as an entrepreneur that just continues to be one of your things that you work on professionally or professional development wise? Mm, the, um, I would say the, um, yeah, I'm an introvert, you're an ENFP, I'm an INFP. Mm -hmm. It's much easier for me to just be in the back. Like, you know, working with a client, whether that's an individual client or a corporate client to to metaphorically speaking, like do this and hold space for someone else. The and it's a growth edge to be like, well, you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to be the one that's more you know active and directive and being seen and out there. So mm -hmm. that's the that's the growth edge. Um, it feels scary and good at the same time. If that makes sense, it of like, does. Oh, okay, well, you're gonna be in a work and play podcast, and it's gonna be on YouTube, and people gonna see it. But it's like, well, you kind of the way I make sense of it is, you one, it's a personal growth edge, it's a professional growth edge, and to do the work that you love to do, that's calling work, that's purpose driven work, and it actually really helps people. You have to be seen more, and like be be out there. Like there's, yeah. you know, you can't be off to the side and and have the impact that you want or that I really want. So that's the biggest growth edge is yeah. um, the visibility piece. So. Yeah, and I was gonna ask, what are you doing to, to challenge that? But obviously we're, <laughs> we're in a social experiment as we speak. Who uh -huh. knew that we were gonna be doing this? I didn't know, but I'm facilitating a little bit of your growth right that's now. It. I that's love it. it. And thank you for that. Yeah, I love it. I didn't know that, but I love it because you are doing it very well. Mm. I love it. Um, there was a question that I had, and sometimes I get a brain fart because I get super excited about one thing, and then I'm like, ah. But um, it's about your journey as an entrepreneur and your growth. And if I find it, if I figure it out again, then I'm going to ask it. Okay. But if I if I don't, then it might it may or may not come back. But um. It did come back. Okay, come on. Yay! Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's the it's the aspect of your of your job that and, and typically I wouldn't even ask this question, but I think that being a therapist, like finding your way is and, and through your story, you've kind of just heed the calling time and time again, right? What's the best part about what you do that a lot of people don't get a chance to do? Like, and this is me asking a very ego-driven question. Like, what's the part about, like, the fun part about your job that people will be jealous about? Wow. What is the part that people be jealous about? 
The, can I answer a different way? Yeah. I don't know if this is something people would be jealous about, but one of the one of the most rewarding, if not the most rewarding piece is seeing people do their slash our healing work that taps them or us back into the depth of our power and our wholeness. Like mm. healing is, you know, I'm on my healing journey, healing journey, mm-hmm. which is great. But sometimes people think that that's, you know, in perpetuity, like it's never going to stop. Like I'm always healing and healing. Mm-hmm. Eventually healing is a path to wholeness and wholeness is our birthright. Like untakeawayable wholeness. So to see people you know, do that healing that taps them or us into like our wholeness and our power so that when they show up, whether it's professionally, personally, family, friends, community, however they're showing up, mm. they are showing up in, in their power and they're coming from their wholeness and not their woundedness. Mm. Yeah. That's, so it I sounds that. like what you're saying is seeing people live their full selves impacting other people to live their full self and that's what you enjoy about one what you do and the reason that you say they or us is because you also realize people do that for you yes mm. yeah oh lord <laughs> i love it i love it i really do because you know like i can i can go all the way in there but then i'm like okay so how do we break that down in lamest terms because um I'm a very experiential person, mm-hmm. even though like when you and I talk, we can geek out about like the the literature of it all, mm-hmm. the theory of it all. Um, but I'm a very much experiential person. Yeah. And the way that I learn mental health is through feeling it and how mm-hmm. it makes me feel and to see it. And, and I love analogies. So that's why as you're talking, I'm like, let me paint a picture for myself, because as you talk about the best part about your life, it's just that you get to impact others and others are impacted and they impact others. Yes. Impact. Like you can see it. It's, it's beautiful. Mm. You can, you can see it. You can feel it. The, um, there's, this isn't necessarily every, you know, client session in terms of, you know, individual clients, but there's sometimes was like, we in the session and I'm like, my clients are dope. Like they're getting it. Like it's, I'm, I'm excited because I'm seeing, people quote unquote do do the work and you know and feel better and like when they're done they're like yeah no it's um it's nothing like it nothing nothing absolutely nothing <laughs> i know exactly what you mean yeah this is a where do you think you would be if you hadn't made the decision to go to Athens to get that counseling degree ooh if i had made the decision to go to Athens to get the counseling degree Maybe working in corporate, like quote unquote, just, you know, W2, just a corporate employee, mm-hmm. you know, maybe doing HR or, or I'm, I'm not sure the, mm. um, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be here. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes that's the, that's the point that, you know, really we have to look at in hindsight that changes our lives mm-hmm. because when we're not happy, we're faced with a decision that we could make in a life that could possibly happen and then the life that we currently have. And yeah. so what's, what's really impactful about what you said is essentially if you never made the decision to grow your life, you'd be exactly where you were before you made the decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's not even like a, it's not even a, um, 
a regretful type of question. It's just like it's just like it's just what it is. If you don't, if you had never made the decision, mm-hmm. think about the life that you wouldn't and the lives that you wouldn't be able to impact. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about when I ask you that question. Like the decision that the the life that was on the line. Hmm. If you had made the decision. Yeah. And then when you think about your own transformation, how would you say you've most transformed as a person? Your questions are <laughs> on point. I think I said this, you know, uh, before now. Questions are on point, like what ballerinas. So one, I want to give you your flowers. Um, the, the biggest one, the most prevalent, prescient, alive one is, uh, and it's been like this year, is, um, it may sound corny or hokey, but like owning my power, like mm. fully. Um, to be in a helping profession, counselor, therapist, social worker, nurse, the, you know, helping or service professions, a lot of times they say, just, just focus on other people and you just wanna give, 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 give. And it's, it's great, it's laudable, it's beautiful, it's necessary, but slash and, there's gotta be, like we have to, we have to give from our wholeness. Like we have to give from, from our abundance almost. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's been a process of saying you have to balance the, the giving, which you love to do, with like owning the, the depth of power that, that's in, in here. The, um, sometimes we associate negative things with power because we see people misuse power, abuse power. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, seeing people misuse it or abuse it made my relationship with it be, be almost this. Like, well, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be too powerful because I don't want to be that person over there that's, that, you know, hurting people or doing bad things. Ooh. And it's like, I had to realize like, that's a story. And the story doesn't serve you like what serves you is owning this so that you can help in the deepest, most powerful ways in the most trans- transformative way. So and again, that's like this year is like that's been the newest discovery, you know, uncovering It's like you have to own it. And when you do it, it's it lets other people know that it's possible. It can be done with in ways that are healthy, that are balanced that give other people permission to like own their own power. Like the the world doesn't benefit from you playing small, so to speak. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest growth lesson in 2022. That's a good one. Yeah. And I love how you take pauses before you answer. Like you you got that one. You pulled that one. <laughs> that's, ooh, that one spoke to me. Big time. Goodness. Okay, God, I hear you. Okay, that's like that's one of those like okay, I hear you. That's big. That's mm. really really big. Mm. I I can't not help but thank you over and over like for being on the podcast. Mm. For one, it's like I think that I really do think coaches and therapists are like great teammates, and I don't think that it it happens. Um, the institutions don't set it up this way. Mm-hmm. I've identified that there's a great connection between the mental work that you do and identifying like what are the quirks and what is the brain telling you and then the practical application. You know what I mean? Because as a therapist, you don't go out there and walk the journey. But as a coach, I can't sit down there and really get deep into the the Uh hard-ish. We both are needed and people need these guides to walk along the journey. So I wholeheartedly like encourage people to find a therapist that fits. And that find and find a coach that fits. Oh, but you know what? I have a question. This will be my last question before um, we close out. But how would you suggest people find the right counselor, 
um, the right coach? How would you how would you su suggest people go about that? Wow, the um, great question. The let me answer broad before answering specific. The broad is, um, and this is a challenge the world is facing, the profession is facing, is there's more demand than supply. Mm -hmm. Like there's not enough. Uh, therapists and counselors that are in graduate school and, and moving into the profession to meet the demand that's already here and that most of the research says is going to in increase where people are saying I need some help now. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, the um, you know, there's different things. The you know, there's websites that are databases that people can go to. The um, Psychology Today, Therapy for Black Girls, Therapy for Black Men, the Counseling Brothers of Atlanta. Um, I mean, there, there are a lot of different, you know, kind of online directories that people can, can go to. Sometimes word of mouth. I will say that in addition to those like tangible steps, and it's just my own experience. Sometimes people are going through and they're looking at directories and they're clicking and you know, looking at this person's credentials or this person's picture, or they look nice. And sometimes you just, you know when you know. Mm. Like you may see a person online, but when you're actually on the, whether in person or on the teletherapy session, it doesn't connect. It doesn't hit. There's not something that says yes. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you're like, I clicked on them and we're going to talk, but I'm not necessarily thinking they're going to be, I want to rock with them. But you end up meeting them and there's something inside that says, and it's a, it's hard to put into words, but something inside says either I can trust this person mm -hmm. or I think they can really help me mm. or they can help me with this, this aspect or this thing that I've been carrying. Like they can hold it. Yeah. Other people can hold it. They can hold it. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, that's what they call it, that, that small, subtle voice. Mm. So I, I guess I'm saying to say, in addition to look at the directories, trust that. Because that, um, in my experience, is powerful. It's invaluable. You know, I feel like that was a, I feel like you answered it in a way that a lot of, like, married people talk about finding their spouse. And I'm going on a bit of a pivot uh -huh. because the trusting yourself, I think we should touch on intuition a bit. One, because I think people navigate their careers without that that trust in their gut. Mm. But then two, you somehow, like the way you describe it, like, and I, I agree, but I would also like to break it down because like, I realize everybody doesn't have that, that strong trust mm. in their intuition. Have you always had a level of trust or did you have to build that trust in your own gut? both mm. it was always there and I have had to and continue to work to trust it all the time or more oft like more often or more often than not so it's both like I would I would never say it was never not there it's always been there and it has also been the process of not trusting it and then being like okay well like you, you learned something here <laughs> right. so next time go better. left instead of going right yeah. so it's it's both actually mm, yeah that's good yeah that's good i've enjoyed you on this conversation on this uh on this episode mm, likewise likewise yeah, it's been dope it's been dope um, for those of us who are watching and listening, I think that they're, you know, either looking at you like, hey, I'd like to work with them. 